0: series, and so uh, this morning I want to spend a a couple of minutes, maybe a couple minutes longer than you're used to for a communion meditation, uh, talking about this table and what's going on here. (laughs) Mark's looking at me like, I came up this early, but uh, I want to talk to you about the Lord's table that we participate in weekly. And uh, I, I just want to remind us a little bit about the, the heart of this series. And I, I'll just start with this question. Have you ever noticed that really amazing things happen in Jesus' ministry when there's a table involved? you ever noticed that? Specifically in the Gospel of Luke, when there's a table involved, there are amazing things that happen in Jesus' ministry. And it's not an accident. Because in the ancient world, when you shared a table with somebody, it wasn't a chance encounter. You were very intentionally sharing that table with that person. It was on purpose. And Jesus desperately wants a seat at our table. And even more than that, he wants to give us a seat at his table. Today we're ending our series entitled At the Table. and It's a, it's a study of table fellowship in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to remind you that uh, this, has been a, this has been a good series for me. I, I've really enjoyed preaching this. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, but I want to remind you that this isn't just one series. This At the table is the theme for our entire year here at Mount Tabor. So while at the table, the the study of fellowship and the Gospel of Luke has been a fun study, it's also our theme for the year. Here's what I want you uh, to consider as we contemplate this as our theme for the year. Throughout the Bible, um, the Word of God... Or the, the, the words that God has communicated to us are described as nourishment. Throughout the Bible, that's the case. Back in the Old Testament, David described God's law as honey on his lips it's described as nourishment Uh, peter talks about the bible as being the milk of the word and and the necessity of becoming able to eat solid food it's described as nourishment and then um, probably most famously jesus said man does not live on bread alone but instead he lives on what every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Throughout Scripture, the Bible is described as nourishment. So what I need you to know is that every Sunday as we gather here, our goal is to feast on the Word of God. Our goal is to feast on the Word of God. Now here's the thing about feasts. I'm, I'm fairly well an expert when it comes to eating. All of you who laughed need to repent, okay? (laughs) But uh, I enjoy eating. I'm good at it. I know a thing or two about eating. And when you eat a feast, do you know how long you feel full? Six hours? Maybe eight hours if it's a really big feast? The point is this. If you have one feast, that's not going to sustain you for an entire week going to sustain you until you're hungry again. My point with that is this. If you come here and you expect to be fed for the entire week, you will be sorely disappointed. Not only will you be sorely disappointed, you will be hungry. And that's a problem. That's a problem because when you're hungry, the only thing you think about is yourself. I'm hungry. I need some food. I need something to eat. My preaching can't be the only time you spend in the Word of God throughout the week. You know how much? You know how how much that would be? Not enough. Right? That would be not enough. Do you know how much energy you would have? Not enough. Not enough to live the life God has called you to, not enough energy to battle sin, not enough energy to love your neighbor as yourself. So while we gather for a feast weekly, you need to devote yourself daily to the Word of God. And here's why, because if you rely on me for your spiritual nourishment, you're going to come here on Sunday and you're going to say things like, well, I just need Tony to say this, and, and I just need Tony to say that, or maybe most importantly, I just don't feel like I'm being fed here. You don't, of course you don't, because you're not eating, right? You're responsible for your eating, not me. I've heard it said this way before, there are two people that don't feed themselves, the very young and the very sick. Don't, don't look, at don't, I'm just the messenger, okay? Right? If you're not eating, you're not going to be nourished. Right? And when we're not eating, we're starving. And when we're starving, the only thing we think about is ourselves. When we're starving, the only thing we think about is us. And that's a problem because we are living in a community that's starving. We're living in a community that's starving. And friends, you know the answer to the questions they're asking. They're starving for meaning and truth. And you know that the answer is Jesus. But if we're starving too, we can't tell them the answer. People are starving for truth, and we know. And as we close this series, I just want you to know that our goal for this year, our goal for our time at Mount Tabor, is to let everybody around us know that there's a seat for them at God's table. There's a seat for them at God's table. As we close our series today, I want to tell you about Jesus' last time at a table. So if you would... Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, or I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. Um, But Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. By the way, uh, if you're a guest here, in your bulletin, uh, I've got a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline for you that'll help you to track with me, take down some notes and key concepts. Okay, Uh, Luke chapter 22 will start in verse 14. Jesus or when the Bible says when when the time came Jesus and the apostles sat down to gather at the table Jesus said I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. and Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. There's a lot. There's a lot there. And uh, quite frankly, this could be a dangerous sermon. There is so much content to cover that we could be here until Thursday afternoon. I'm going to try to avoid that. Okay? Okay? try to get you out of here by lunchtime, but there's a lot. Uh, But we need to focus in on this massively important concept, and it's this. The last meal that Jesus ate while he was on earth was the Passover meal. This is not an accident, In fact, it's highly significant. Uh, Let's do this real quick. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I I hadn't until I was preparing for this sermon. But, But I thought, hey, if I was having a last meal, what would I have? I don't know if any of you have ever thought about that, or maybe you've read articles about what uh, famous death row inmates have had for their last meals. Um, But but I did some research, and, and I got to thinking, you know, if I was having a last meal for my entire life, I'd probably go with a ribeye. A ribeye cooked medium, a nice juicy pink center, some asparagus, nice little dessert, you weren't hungry you are now you're welcome right but I I would go with probably the ribeye I think you know and who cares how big of a ribeye it is doesn't matter I'm gonna have one the size of a boogie board okay I I think for my last meal I would go with a ribeye I gave it a little bit of thought this week and you know I I like that that's a delicious cut of meat I love asparagus too and Jesus just goes the other direction Jesus doesn't have a ribeye with asparagus and a nice dessert. He has lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. That's certainly one way to approach it, right? Uh, Jesus doesn't do it like I would have done it. For his last meal, he has the Passover feast. But it's important. Jesus wasn't nearly as concerned with the food as he was the lesson that he was teaching. Let me explain. The Passover goes all the way back to Egypt. All the way back to Egypt when the Jewish people were slaves to the Egyptians and the Passover meal is a reminder of God's justice and mercy. Passover meal is a reminder of God's justice and his mercy. You see, it was awful. It was awful for the people in Egypt. We know that the, 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 the Jewish people got there when, when Joseph came there and then he brought his family there and everything was good until a time that a new king arose who didn't know Joseph and he looked around one day and he said, there sure are an awful lot of these foreigners here. In fact, if these people got organized, they could make life interesting for us. In fact, maybe they could even overthrow our country. And so this ruler in Egypt, this pharaoh, got to thinking and he said, what am I going to do? And he had an idea. He said, I am going to work these people so hard that they won't have any energy to do anything else. They won't have any energy uh, to have children. They won't have any energy to plan to overthrow our government. We are going to work them twice as hard to the point of death. And so that's what the Egyptians did. And that didn't work. And so he doubled down again. He said, we are going to work them even harder. We're going to take away tools that are necessary for them to complete their job of making bricks. And we're going to expect more work out of them. And still, it doesn't work. And the the Jewish people in Egypt are just miserable. And their groans and their cries are heard by the Lord. And God says, all right. I am faithful to my people. You are the people that I've made an everlasting covenant with through Abraham. And so I am going to rescue you from this land of Egypt. And here's my plan. His name is Moses. And God says, Moses, you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to get my people out. And so Charlton Heston did and he went before Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. Right? You've, you've seen that version of the story. Charlton Heston did a great job of that. That's just my opinion, though. But, but that, was the, that was the plan. And so God says, we're going to use plagues. Moses says, plagues? Yeah, plagues. What do you mean, plagues? Well, turn the water in the Nile into blood. Okay. So he did. And Pharaoh said, wow, that's impressive. You can't go anywhere. And, and then uh, Pharaoh said, what else you got? And Moses said, well, I've got frogs. How about, I, how about I cover your whole land in frogs? Will that make you let us go? By the way, that's more terrible than it sounds, right? You're going, frogs? That's ridiculous. Um, what you don't know about Egypt is that frogs were um, highly revered deities, and so you could be punished by death for killing a frog. And so if the whole land is covered in frogs, you can't sit, you can't stand, you can't move, you can't walk. For fear of stepping on a frog, you can't cook because you might roast one. Life in Egypt shuts down if the whole world is overrun with frogs. This was a much worse plague than we think of. Okay? Pharaoh says, that's cute. I'm going to get rid of the frogs. What else you got? Well, how about gnats? Nothing. Flies? Nope. How about all of the animals get diseased and a good portion of them die? That's pretty terrible, right? And all of God's farmers said, no thanks. Okay? Um, Pharaoh's going, really cute. No. How about flaming hail? Nope, you're staying. How about darkness over the entire... Oh, wait, we forgot, we forgot locust. God sent locusts to eat the crops, and all of God's farmers said, please stop. Okay? Uh, then there's darkness over the entire land. Terrifying, but still Nothing. Moses goes back to God. He's goes, God, I, I just don't, I, I hate to tell you how to do your job, God, but I just don't think this plague thing is working. We've done nine of them, and they're pretty terrible. I'll give you that. But Pharaoh, he's he's just not budging, God. And God says, All right, one more. This one's gonna work. The death angel is gonna sweep over the entire land, and he's gonna kill the firstborn of every household in Egypt. Well, I ought to do it. Here's what I need you to know, here's what I need you to recognize about this final plague. The Jews living in Egypt are not exempt from this plague. The Bible text says that the death angel will kill the firstborn child of every household in the entire land of Egypt. Guess who lives in the land of Egypt? The Jews! The Jews were not spared from this plague because they were Jews. They were spared because they were faithful to what God had commanded. That's an important thing for us to remember. It's important for the Passover feast. And and so uh, let's back up just a little bit here. Right? The, the thing that they, uh, they had to do, they had to be spared, uh, in order to be spared was uh, they had to pick a year old lamb and it was, a, it was a good looking little lamb and it was without spot or blemish and they would kill the lamb and they would dip a hyssop branch into the blood of the lamb and they would spread that across the top of their door. And only if they did that, only if there was blood on the top of the door frame, the death angel would pass over their household. And so the Jews were obedient to God and they listened. And because of that, the death angel passed over their household and struck all of the houses of Egypt except for theirs. And in his grief, in his terror, in his frustration, Pharaoh said, All right, get out of here. Could you imagine how terrible this must have been? Could you imagine how horrific that must have been? Can you imagine if we woke up tomorrow and we saw that every firstborn child in Louisville was killed last night? The whole world would shut down. The whole world would be looking and saying, what happened? That's horrific. And in his grief and in his terror for his own family and for the nation of Egypt, Pharaoh says, just get out of here. Just get out of here. And to commemorate this event, when God got His people out of Egypt, when He miraculously, by His supernatural power, got His people out of captivity in Egypt, the Jews are commanded to celebrate the Feast of Passover every year as a reminder of God's justice and mercy, and to remind them of the importance of their faithfulness to Him. And the meal that they're supposed to eat is very specific. There's lamb, right? You you killed the lamb, and so you're going to eat the lamb now. There were four cups, each of them symbolized different elements of the meal. There were bitter herbs, that reminds them of the harshness of their Egyptian captivity. And then there was unleavened bread, and you had to eat with your shoes on. That reminds you that when it's time to go, it's time to go now. There's no delay. You don't have time to wait for your bread to rise. Let's go now. And you know, I could talk about each of those elements. Each of them would be a good sermon in and of themselves, but there's a danger of over-explaining things. There's a danger of over-explaining things to the point where we miss the big picture. Uh, So what I want to focus on today is the most important element of the meal. It's the Passover lamb. I want to talk to you about the Passover lamb. The Bible tells us that the lamb is to be one year old without spot or blemish. So let's think about this here. Okay, Let, let's develop a mental image in our mind. A one-year-old lamb is going to be awful cute. This is going to be a cute little animal. I wonder if, yeah. All of God's people said, "Aw." Yeah, very good. That's a cute little fellow. Can you believe that? And your family would find a year-old lamb, and it wouldn't have any defects or blemishes, and you would take it to the high priest, and you would lay it on the altar, and then you and your family would lean on the animal. You would lean on the animal, and this was your way of transferring your sins onto this lamb from the past year. And as you and your family are leaning on this animal... The high priest would come by and cut the lamb's throat. You're welcome for this, by the way. Then that's what, that's what would happen. Uh, that seems a little distasteful, doesn't it? That seems unpleasant to me. Have any of you ever had a, a, an animal die right in front of you, or, or maybe while you were holding it? Anybody, anybody ever had that happen before? Yeah, this is a farming community, I'm sure most of you have. I have. Uh, As I thought about this idea of laying hands on this Passover lamb, uh, I I was reminded of something that happened to me when I was in college. Um, We had a dog at our house. Our dog's name is a boy, but our dog's name was Pupcake. My niece was four at the time, and she got naming rights. So we had a male dog named Pupcake. And uh, Pupcake was a Jack Russell Terrier. I, I really liked Pupcake. He's the cutest little puppy, right? He's like this big, and puppies are always cute. They have to be because they still poop inside, so they have to be cute, otherwise you wouldn't have them, but uh, I, I really loved Pupcake, and Pupcake was, you know, Jack Russells are pretty uh, energetic and ambitious dogs, and, and so Pupcake spent a lot of time outside. Our house wasn't huge. One day, I was coming home from the gym, and I get out of the car, and I noticed that the neighbors were were waiting for me, and they come outside, and... I can tell immediately that something's wrong, and I said, "Hey!" And they said, you, "You should probably come with us." And we go through their house into the backyard, and uh, what had happened was, pupcake had started digging and had dug a hole underneath our fence and gone into their backyard and started playing with their dog Chloe. Chloe's a Great Dane, and uh, here's what here's what I'm picturing happened. We'll never know for sure. But here's what I picture happen. Uh, Pupcake was... (laughs) This just takes away gravity from the story if I keep saying Pupcake. I'm going to say the dog. Fair enough? Okay? So the dog um, gets under the fence and and, and starts playing with Chloe. I imagine nipping at her heels and and things like that. And and Chloe is a good, sweet dog. But eventually you get nipped in the heel enough, you're going to give a warning. Well... I think what happened is that Chloe was just so much bigger than our dog that the warning shot was too much. Ended up puncturing her, puncturing his lung. And so Pupcake was sitting there and, and I pick him up and, and I'm holding him and I will never forget the look on his face. He was scared, and he was in pain, and he was hurting, and I'm just going to be a little graphic with you for a second. As he would breathe, it would gurgle, and sometimes a little blood would spurt out of his puncture wound, and so I take my dog back to my house, knowing full well that he's going to die, and several minutes later, as we're sitting on the back porch, just talking, just hanging out, just, just talking about life and, and all of the things that he's going to do, My dog died right there in my arms, and it was awful. I hated that day, it was very unpleasant. But as unpleasant as it was for my dog to die in my arms like that, it was nothing compared to the sheer terror of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Because here's the difference. As awful as it was when my dog died, I wasn't there when that fatal blow was inflicted. And when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, you and your family had your hands on the animal. And you felt it as the priest slit his throat and felt the animal go from alive and vibrant and full of hope and energy. You felt it go from life to death as your hands were on this animal. And as terrible as it was when my dog died, that was just one. The Passover lamb was sacrificed by every family. We're talking thousands and thousands of these sacrifices every year with every family holding their hand on the animal. This was a horrific event. But here's why. The sacrifice of the Passover lamb was horrific because sin is horrific. The the sacrifice of the Passover lamb was horrific because sin is horrific. And that's the thing that we miss. See, a lot of people say things like, well, I know I've sinned, but I've made up for it. I know I've sinned, but I've made up for it. That sinning's in my past. Now I'm good, right? I, I give to charity. I volunteer. I'm on the PTA. And every time, Every time there's a school fundraiser, I buy something that I don't need. It's for the kids. I'm a good person. God says, those things are fine. I'm glad that you do those things, but those things don't atone for your sin. Those things don't make up for what you've done wrong. Here's what sin is. Sin is disregarding God's commands for my desires. Sin is disregarding God's commands for my desires. When we sin, what we're saying is, God, you're not in charge. I am. God takes that seriously. His response is, hey, there's no room for two people in charge in my house. So if you want to be in charge, that's fine, but get out of here. If you want to be in charge, that's fine. Go for it, but not here. See, God takes sin seriously. So seriously, in fact, that the only way to restore that relationship with one who has sinned and God is with blood. Is with blood. Here's how it's described in the book of Leviticus. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. The only way that God has designed for sin to be atoned for, covered up, or made right is with blood. Now, I have blood, but I just assume keep it. I don't know about you. I don't know maybe you feel the same way as I do I just assume keep it and and God knows that God knows that we would just assume keep our blood and so he's made the price for atonement high and he's made it unpleasant to put your put your hands on that animal as the life is drained from it. He's made it unpleasant because sin is unpleasant. And so every year the people would lay their hands on this Passover lamb and feel the life leave their animal so that they could be made right with God for another year. This is the last meal that Jesus eats the Passover meal with the Passover lamb. But look at what Jesus says. He says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. He knows what's about to happen. Before my suffering begins, for I tell you that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew he was about to become the Passover lamb. And as horrific as the sacrifice of this animal was, it was about to be magnified exponentially on the body of Jesus. Can I just speak practically to you this morning? In the ancient world, cutting an animal's throat was efficient. And it was humane. That was the most efficient, most humane way they had to take an animal's life. I understand today that's not the case. We've got a bolt gun that's very quick, very painless. Animal won't feel a thing. They didn't have that in the first century. So to cut an animal's throat was the most efficient way of taking its life. Crucifixion was not humane, and it was not efficient. Crucifixion... Was the worst form of capital punishment in the Roman world. It was reserved for the vilest of offenders who had done the most terrible things so that there would be an example set for anyone who might follow down a similar path. The condemned were left to suffer along the side of the road for however long it took to die not seconds, not minutes, not even hours, often days. Crucifixion's not humane. It's not efficient. But this is how Jesus died. And His death was horrific because sin is horrific. And Jesus' role as He hung there dying was to give His perfect blood as a once and for all sacrifice for sin so that everyone who believes in Him will not die but live in God's kingdom forever. What did it say in the book of Exodus again? For the life of the body is in the blood, and I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. And what did Jesus say in, in, in Luke chapter 22? He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. You see, it's only blood that can restore the relationship between God and man. Jesus' blood, was perfect blood, and was a once and for all sacrifice. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Until the kingdom of God has come. Until the kingdom of God has come. You know, we call this the Last Supper, and I understand why. This is the last meal that Jesus had before he was crucified. But really, this isn't the Last Supper. This is the second to last supper. This is the second to last supper. It's the last Passover supper. right? Until this time, God has commanded a yearly Passover. But what we've learned from this meal is that Jesus is our new Passover lamb. And the commitment doesn't need to be restored each year with a new lamb. Jesus' death was a once for all thing. So that everybody can have God's salvation. And so we don't celebrate this once a year with our family. We celebrate this, this new meal, this new covenant in Jesus' blood. We celebrate it weekly, whenever we gather together, not as our family, but as the family of God. It's a new covenant in Jesus' blood. But this isn't the Last Supper. This is the second to last supper. Jesus says, I won't drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He doesn't say, I won't drink wine again. He says, I won't drink it until the kingdom of God has come. I want to show you what this looks like. This is called the great marriage feast of the Lamb. This is from the book of Revelation in chapter 19. It says, praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of a mighty ocean wave, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. These are the true words that come from God. This meal that Jesus ate that's recorded in Luke chapter 22, it's not the Last Supper. It's the second to Last Supper. The Last Supper will come when the Lord returns for his church. Now during his life on earth, Jesus spent a lot of time around tables with people. And his final act was to ensure that everyone who is faithful to what God commands might have a seat at God's table for all eternity. So right now, as we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper, this new covenant that's, that was uh, inaugurated in Jesus' blood, I want us to consider just a few things. From everything that we've learned today, I want to boil it down to just a few things for us to contemplate as we participate in this supper together. First of all, understand that Jesus' death was horrific because our sin is horrific. So let's acknowledge our sin. Second, understand that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So let's acknowledge our Savior. And finally, understand that there will be a Last Supper one day, and God wants as many people at the table as possible. So let's acknowledge our future and our responsibility until then. Let's pray. God, we thank you for forgiveness of sins poured out in Jesus' blood. We We know that the only way to be made right with you is blood, and we know that that's a price that we can't pay. And so we praise you that you paid it for us. Jesus, we thank you that you lived for us and died for us and rose again. We thank you that because of your sacrifice, we might be restored with God. And we ask that as we prepare to take your supper, that we might do so honestly. That we might uh, consider our need for you as Savior. God, I pray that we would also remember that there are a lot of people that still aren't at the table yet that should be. Would you give us the strength and the compassion and the wisdom to reach them? We love you, God. We thank you. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.